0: So, God, we just pray for your spirit. God, we love your word and we love your leadership, God. We just invite you to speak to us where we're at. God, I'm mindful when your Holy Spirit came that the disciples spoke in tongues of many languages, God, that everyone heard it in their own language. And I pray that in this place that each person would receive what you have, God, exactly where they're at exactly in their circumstance, Father. God, we just pray for that miraculous gift to just take place in this time right now, Father. Thank you. Amen. Well, we can all agree that kids and adults have a very different way to look at the future that's coming. Kids are pretty chill and don't really understand that the future is coming one second later. And we all have a few memories as kids that are pretty vivid Mine was almost my last memory of my life. I had a security blanket, a little blanket. You guys know those blankets the kids have? I had mine a bit too long because I was the weakest kid in town, and so when you're that weak, you need a safety blanket. And um, I would always sit behind my dad in the van. (laughs) And that was where I went because I always kicked him in the back every single trip. He'd always be like, stop it back there. I would be right there. And one day I thought of this really hilarious idea. I thought, he's driving the van... And I've got this blanket right here. If I covered his face, he would not know where to go. And we're cruising on the highway, full speed. We're probably 20 or 30K above the speed limit. And I slowly made my move. He was driving, and I put my blanket above his head, and then I pounced. I pulled it back as hard as I could. (laughs) And my father, you know, was making noise. My mom was making noise. It was a really scary moment in my life because the whole van lunged forward and I hit the back of the seat pretty hard and I realized what I had done in that moment. I thought it was going to be a hilarious reaction. I thought everyone in the van was going to laugh and clap and start chanting my name. What a funny joke. You are brilliant. The funniest kid we've ever seen. Instead I was almost the dead kid. You know as kids we're only sort of conscious of the present moment and kind of what's happening. As we grow up we become conscious that the future is catching up with our present. This is when kids start to develop thoughts of worry. You're going to notice it when all of a sudden kids worry about things like mortality and, and death. And at that moment, everything creeps into the fact that our very next moment is the future invading our present. And lots of times we feel like my dad just driving blind. We don't know what's coming, and that's freaky and terrifying. The future is just coming at us. We don't even know what the next text will bring. We were just camping, and we were three days away from cell service, and it dawned on me that we were going to get cell service at any moment. And my phone started going nuts. Text after text after text, and then there's that little bit of anxiety. What did I miss? (laughs) Was there anything horrible in the world while I was gone for those three days? What's kind of going on? And with each text, every phone call, The future has this potential of invading our present and it creates anxiety in us, doesn't it? Imagine being in Hawaii last January and you receive this text. This would not have been a good moment in their life. This act, oh, Sean is, he's doing his good job to put a positive spin on what happened there. (laughs) Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. (laughs) Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Everybody on Hawaii got this. Were any of you guys in Hawaii then when, and received this text? No? A lot of people were. A lot of Canadians. It was January. And in that moment, people panicked. <laughs> and this creates a lot of anxiety in us. We don't even know what the next text will bring. 18 years ago, I'm laying in bed. Melissa went to work early, and the phone kept ringing over and over and over. We had a home phone back then, and the phone kept ringing over and over and over. And I got out of bed thinking why would she be doing this and she said turn on the TV you're not gonna believe what has happened and so I turned on the TV many of us did this eighteen years ago in a couple of days and these are some of the images that we saw go ahead and roll that Sean
1: this is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center you can see the firemen assembled here the police officers FBI agents and you can see the two towers A huge explosion now, raining debris on all of us, we better get out of the way!
0: That's good there. Psychologists say that this event created such trauma within our culture because it was, it was real time. All of us here in the West woke up to this. This was our first sort of news that we received in the morning. Most people in the East sort of, they were getting to work and this was unfolding. Um, the news was really sketchy as to what was happening. But it created a spike in fear in people that lasted... I mean, quite a long time, they said months, but what researchers were shocked about was the fact that this fear that that raised, and people generally would say that they were more anxious, that this fear actually subsided and went back to near pre-9-11 levels in people. It actually went back to where it was originally, and this was a shock. Researcher Billy Glasner wrote a book called The Culture of Fear, and this is what he says. He says, we live in arguably the safest time and place in human history, and yet fear levels are the highest. About 10 years ago, fear levels in the West climbed to post-9-11 levels, like within the weeks and months right afterwards. And they really didn't have any idea why. Why are people more fearful now than they were directly after 9-11? The reality is, is that we hear about every single event and each one plants a seed of fear in us. It's 9-11 every single morning for us who have our devices with us constantly. I want you to see this, this video. This is from the Rolling Stones. There's some fascinating nuggets of truth in this. Check this out.
1: Americans today do not feel safe. People are scared. People are going to die. Our country's going to hell. 2015 was reportedly the best year in history for the average person. So why is everyone so afraid? According to the data, life expectancy is higher than ever before. Violent crime is down, and the air quality has been the cleanest it's been in a decade. But for the media and politicians, your fear is worth billions. Now, more than ever, we are plugged into a non-stop feed of information, receiving messages and alerts from our social networks. And because of this, our fears are easy to manipulate. These threats and these messages about threat are also arriving through many more channels. It's like we've built a new blood supply in our culture, and that blood can deliver nutrients, but that blood, of course, can also deliver toxins. So what do we do when people are hardwired to respond to fear above everything else? The long-term solution really comes from people realizing that their brain is not a perfect device. Every thought you have is not necessarily correct. Your emotion system will take those thoughts and kind of run them like a boat down a stream. In reality, we probably won't die from a terrorist attack or mass shooting. Every day there are 117 deaths from suicide, 129 deaths from overdose, 96 deaths from car accidents, and 1,300 deaths from smoking. So the message is clear. You are the biggest threat to your own safety.
0: It's fascinating that that researchers are saying that our fear levels are are the day after 9-11, perpetually. And there's been quite a shift in the church in that our times of inactivity... Times like standing in line in your car, when we eat meals, even times in the bathroom, times where we 're used to just ponder, talk to God, be still, are now being filled with media. Our bedtimes used to be times where we would like reflect on the day, pray, but more and more bedtime is is just full of just scanning through stories, and in this culture where our politicians, and and even the companies that are trying to get our money know full well that our fear is what drives us. It's just messages of fear over and over and over and over. And we respond to these above everything else. And there's no hope in the research. There actually isn't any hope. Um, The Rolling Stones doesn't give any sort of remedy. Um, I read an article in Time, and there's no hope there. And there's only one thing stronger than fear. And this is going to sound cliche and really churchy, but it is love. 1 John 4 says that perfect love is the thing that drives out fear. And I think we get it. Fear overrides our brain, and it actually it, it, it overwhelms our frontal lobe where we make decisions, and it, it all goes to the base of our brains. But love actually overrides our brain stem. Case in point, we're at the ark. I am terrified. If a snake was right there, I'd be gone. I hate snakes. I hate how they look. I even hate... I hate everything about them, but all these girls were around a bush, and they were just freaking out and screaming, and, and, and I don't know. I didn't know what was going on, and so they said something about a snake, and there was one girl crying, and my fear of snakes was gone because I loved these kids, and I ran there, and I don't know what I was going to do, and one girl threw a rock right by my face, and it went into the bushes, and out popped the terrible object of their fear. It was a bunny, and it went, just flew away and fly away hopped away and I thought to myself what was that thing this is a bunny but I was willing to grab that thing if these girls were in danger because love overrides fear I think we've all noticed things like this for bears if I'm by myself in the forest and there's a bear I'm done a bear showed up at Shushwap and it went near our campsite and my family was there so what did I do I grabbed a rock and I went after that thing and I thought what am I thinking Love overrides fear. It's fascinating. This is the reality. And so, this is the only remedy. We weren't made to fear, to live like this. This is garbage, the way that sort of we've been programmed by our our community. And we forget something sometimes. And here's what it is. Is that we're we're afraid of the future, but God is not just omnipotent, which we get, all powerful. But he's omniscient, which means... All-knowing. We forget that he's all-knowing and knows every second of our life before it happens. He knows the future. And get this, it's that God that lives in us. He's actually dwelling in us. The God that knows the future is our leader and our shepherd. It's so easy to forget that. Nothing catches God off guard. Nothing. And so today's passage is beyond mind-blowing. The words of Jesus are true every single time. He knows the future beyond a doubt, and his promises 100% of the time come true. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew 24. This is quite the text, and we're not going to get all the way through it. This little text is called the Little Apocalypse. It's the only time in the four Gospels... And the book of Revelation, where Jesus uses apocalyptic genre as he's speaking about things to come, and he's talking about the end of times, but before he gets to that, he's speaking about this event in history that he is saying will come that seems unbelievable. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. So get this. Jesus just taught in the temple. He's walking away, and the disciples are looking back at the temple going, Jesus, look at this thing. The temple, we've talked about this a lot here, the temple was amazing. This is what an image of it would look like. Huge. That's the size of here to Costco, about 35 acres, 20 stories tall. So all those houses behind it are just puny, looking up at the temple. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, look at the temple. And they're looking up to 20 stories and saying, that is amazing. Some of the stones were 42 feet long. The stage from that end to that end is about 42 feet long. They were about 10 feet tall. They weighed a million pounds. Like, incredible. This is the second temple. King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first. And so King Darius made this temple to last forever. It was such a shame on the Jewish people that it got destroyed that this temple was made impenetrable. Like, look at the thing. Unbelievable. What happens next, the disciples probably shook their head Jesus says, do you see all these things, he said? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Okay. They averaged 10 tons each, the rocks. They weren't all a million pounds, but the average was 10 tons. Enormous. 20 stories high. Jesus just said, it's pretty cool, But not one stone will be left. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This is known now as the Olivet Discourse. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. There's just a few of the disciples, and they're like, Jesus, you just said the craziest thing, remember? Every stone, that doesn't, like, Jesus, you've never lied before, but... We're kind of suspicious about what you just had to say. And this is what he says. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. He's speaking in an apocalyptic genre here, and it's important to note two things. Um, is that there's a lot of images here that, that we don't, like the rest of the gospels are written in a genre called prose where it's just like a newspaper it's it's information Jesus is speaking with different sort of symbols There's one professor in the US for seminary for the first 3 months he took as he teaches apocalyptic biblical literature he makes them only read secular sources so they understand all the images Jesus is speaking of two things here. He's talking about his return, the end of the age. He's also talking about the destruction of the temple at parallel times. This is a classic apocalyptic move. He says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Each one of these guys listening was handed over and put to death. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Listen to this. So when you see standing in the holy place, that's the temple... When you see in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house let no one in the field go back to get their cloak how dreadful it will be for those in those days for pregnant women or nursing mothers pray that your flight Will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never equaled again. He is describing something horrible. The disciples are thinking, oh, great, we'll be put to death. Something so bad that the world will never see something so bad again. And in verse 34, he says it's going to happen in this generation. The disciples are like, oh. So here's the question. So did this thing happen? Jesus said in one generation, this will happen. He's saying that the temple will be destroyed and no stone will be left on another. And he says this, you know what's going to happen when you see the abomination that causes desolation. That's an awesome wrestler name, isn't it? I am the abomination. It's a pretty cool name. He says this is going to happen, and this already did happen because Daniel prophesied, and it happened 200 years prior. A Syrian king made a statue of Zeus in the temple and sacrificed a pig in the altar. An abomination is something that God hates. Desolation means that it caused isolation for God's people. And Jesus is saying that something is going to happen again. And this is what he says in Luke 21 when you see jerusalem being surrounded by armies you will know that desolation is near and this is what happened the worst thing maybe on planet earth happened 40 years later it was terrible in 66 a.d the zealots took over the temple zealots are rebels who wanted to overthrow rome with force and they took the temple And for four years, there were riots, there were murders. The temple was so deplorable for about four years. Jews were killing each other. And the Romans had enough. And so Titus, who was ruling at the time, brought in 30,000 men and surrounded the temple. And then Titus did something unbelievably cruel. He waited for Passover when a million people, likely a million, that was kind of the average number of people that came for Passover went into the temple and then he sealed it off now I want you to imagine an area between here and Costco about 35 acres a million people Titus sealed it off and let nobody out and let nothing in this actually happened Josephus who is the historian of the time records that he says they stacked the dead like wood A million people, and they're dying by the hundreds every day because there's no food, there's no sanitation. He said that mothers ate their own children. This was a time of incredible, horrible suffering. A million Jews just died, sealed in the temple. Titus wanted the temple after they all died because it was such a beautiful building for his military headquarters. He told the soldiers not to, to wreck the temple, But the soldiers were getting so antsy and they wanted the plunder and they were so sick of the zealots, they hated the ones that are living so much that they beat down some of the gates and they moved in and they lit it on fire. They said that this site was the most deplorable thing you can imagine. So bad that they just started lighting the temple on fire because the stench was so terrible. But the Jewish people had all their gold stored in the temple and the gold melted and it ran between the cracks of the temple. And the soldiers wanted to get at it so bad that they took gigantic rods, huge bars, and they, they removed all the rocks from on top of each other to get at the gold that had melted in there. Ironically, not one stone was left on top of the other when it was all said and done. It was this abomination that caused the entire temple to be left in a pile of ruins. Jesus said, a temple that was built to never be destroyed will fall in this generation and his words are always true. Later, Jesus told Peter that he was going to disown him and he said, you're actually going to do it today and you're going to betray me three times before a rooster crows and guess what happened? Then they were taking offering, or sorry, communion together. And as they're taking communion, he said, One of you will betray me. The person who just dipped his hand in the bowl, it was Judas. And Judas said, Not me, never. And it was obviously Judas. He said to the disciples that you will all walk out and desert me. Jesus' words are always true. A hundred percent of the time. He said, I am gonna be killed in Jerusalem by crucifixion during Passover. And I will rise after three days, and I will ascend into heaven, and the Holy Spirit will come. Jesus' words, 100% of the time, are trustworthy. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen, by the way. You know, we say amen at the end of our prayer. Amen means simply this. Just so be it. It's a statement of confidence saying, we're confident that you're able. In Titus, Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. His promises will never fade away. You see, after he said that this temple will be destroyed within this generation, he said this, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. They were looking at it and marveling, and he just said, this is going to pass away. The only thing that won't are my words. His promises are secure. He's the only one that is eternal and omniscient. His love is truly the only love that can cast out fear. We rely on so many other things and hear so many other voices, but they're not true and they're not secure. This week, it's been all over Facebook and all over media, and everyone's been talking about it. A well-known pastor committed suicide. And this is Jared Wilson, and, and we've heard his stories, and we've seen the videos, and, and it's such a sad thing because this was a man who, by all accounts, helped many people walk through depression and mental health problems and suicidal thoughts. And then the person who was their rock failed. You see, Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, and that's us, because we're mortal and we're sinful, every one of us. We fail. We can't make anyone in this room or in our lives our own rock, because we will all fail, because we're mortal. But the promises of God will never, ever pass away. We've given our time and our stillness and times of inactivity to our media where sinful mortals fill us our minds with fear and we let go of the promises of God in our life. Our omniscient father who cannot lie, the words of Jesus are true every time and yet his word is full of the promises of Jesus for our good. This book, this book is full of his promises. Guess how many of his promises are in this book? 8,000. 8,000 promises in this book for us, for our good. 8,000. And you know what's wonderful about that? Is that he cannot lie. His words are always true. The things that he says will happen always do. Every single time. And they never pass away. And we're going to meditate on those things. We need to be men and women of this book. Am I right? We listen to so many lies. We just allow our heads to be filled with that and our inactivity to just be filled with garbage. Instead of becoming men and women of the book. And what we're going to do now in this place is we're going to do something a little bit different than normal. We're going to worship, but first we're just going to meditate on the promises of Jesus. We're going to read these promises and we know that they're true because every word he has ever spoken is truth. Every word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to invite you in this new season to just from this point on say I'm going to actually make the shift back toward the truth. We're so full of fear because we're so full of lies, and his perfect love drives out fear in us, and he reveals his love to us through his word. His promises are in scripture for us, and they reorientate us, don't they? Every time we gather on Sunday night, we're just going to study the word because it is the truth. Why don't you just pray with me? Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. For no matter how many promises you have made, they are yes. Every one of them, you promise that. They're amen. We can receive them with confidence. We will pass away. Our philosophers will pass away. The might of our democracy and our wealth will pass away, but your words will never, your promises will never change. We receive that, Jesus. I'm just going to read Scripture. I invite you to read it with me. And then we're just going to meditate upon that scripture and the truth of it. I just pray that, that lies will just be cast out of your mind. All of his promises are truth. Matthew 11, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Teach, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. That's the truth. Because you will have the light that leads to life. This next promise is amazing. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And all these things will be given to you as well. He will give you everything you need. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. We get power from on high. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always. to the very end of the age. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to, to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe that that's true? That he has come that you may have life that is abundant. That life in him is not drudgery, it is life abundant. Every word he has said is truth, there's no deceit in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Praise the Lord. These are not up for grabs. They're not maybes. His promises are yes and amen, every one of them. Every fear is a misunderstanding of who God is and what he has promised. I'm going to invite you to to give your inactivity back to your father, your stillness back to the one who loves you. Heaven and earth may pass away, but these promises never will. We are secure in the one that loves us. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, I thank you that you have our future. I thank you that every encounter you had with mortal men, you said, fear not. Because you know our end. You know our future. You said that you're creating a place for us and you're coming back for us, Jesus